Welcome to day 191 of Shaped by the Word, season two, the drama of Scripture. Uh, we've certainly hit a low point in the drama of Scripture. We've seen Israel uh, as a nation uh, rise from the time of Judges when everyone was doing right in their own eyes to the time of David uh, when uh, there was preparation for the building of the temple and there was a king after God's own heart, even though he filled miserably you know, toward the end of his life, to the reign of Solomon, which has all the outer attractiveness of wealth and expanded boundaries, uh, but internally leads to a splitting of the nations into two you know, distinct nations, the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. And uh, Judah has a few bright moments when there, there are revivals in the nation and they turn back to the Lord. Israel does not. From the very beginning, they establish you know, their own gods and their own system of worship. They invite back or revive, you know, the foreign gods that had been part of the, uh, you know, the worship of the peoples that God had driven out before them. And finally, they're, they're carried off into exile. And, and this nation will later become, you know, the, the Samaritans. It will be a people who never fully recover, you know, their heritage and, and, are, and are lost to history as a pure tribe, as pure tribes of Israel, not able to t- trace their ancestries or even come into uh, the presence of the temple. So uh, we come to uh, the final moments in, in the nation of Israel. Then we'll turn back to a bright spot in the nation of Judah, only to see her also fall away and do the same things the nation of Israel has done. So we're in Second Kings chapter 17. We'll pick up where we left off yesterday and with verse 24. I'm Paul Camp here with Katie Kresge, Matt Kresge, and David Keefe. And as always, we read God's word in his presence. Isaiah talks about a people who tremble before his word. You know, I, we come to it with a sense of excitement, a sense of awe, a sense of reverence, and even a willingness to, to let his word shake our lives and reorder our lives. So it's far more than just a, a spiritual discipline. It is a meeting with, a personal meeting with the God of the universe who loved us and called us into relationship with himself and wants to reveal himself through his word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace we find as we read it. We thank you for places that your word comforts us. We thank you for the places that your word uh, is disconcerting to us and uh, penetrates our sensibilities and shakes our world up. We thank you that through your spirit, you you take your word to complete your work in us. And so, Father, we, we pray that you would do that today. Thank you that you've revealed your heart. May we know your heart and be a reflection of your heart as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Second mm-hmm. Kings 17, verse 24, the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Shepharim, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. When they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord, so he sent uh, lions among them, and they killed some of the people reported to the king of Assyria, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do, know, do not know what the God of the country requires. He has sent lions among them, which are killing them off because people do not know what he requires. The king of Assyria gave this order, have one of the priests you have taken captive from Samaria go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and he taught them how to worship the Lord. Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in the several towns where they settled, and they set them up in shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places. The people from Babylon uh, made sakath Benath, those from uh, Kuthath made Nergal, those from Hamath made Ashima, 
the Evites made Nimhaz and Tartak, and the Seravites burned their children in the fires as sacrifices to Adrimelech, Adrimelech, the gods of the Sheravim. They worshiped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places. They worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. To this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship the Lord nor adhere to the decrees and regulations, the laws and commands that the Lord gave the descendants of Jacob, whom he named Israel. When the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites, he commanded them, Do not worship any other god or bow down to them, serve them or sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt with mighty power and outstretched arm is the one you must worship. To him, shall, to him you shall bow down and to him offer sacrifices. You must always be careful to keep the decrees, the regulations, the laws and the commands he wrote for you. Do not worship other gods. Do not forget the covenant I've made with you. And do not worship other gods. Rather, worship the Lord your God. <clears throat> it is he who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. They would not listen, however, but persisted in their former practices. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their ancestors did. Well, that's a bleak picture. Oh, and, uh, and obviously, uh, you know, I'm just reminded of, you know, uh, you know, something, you know, James, you know, says, and of course, James is known for you know, his, his very simple, you know, biblical, you know, wisdom. He said, you know, when we're tempted, we shouldn't say God is tempting us because that's not a part of his character. He can't be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone with evil, but we are. Uh, when we're, you know, dragged away enticed by our own, own desires. And when those desires, you know, conceive, they give birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth, you know, to death. And so we follow the inclinations of our own heart, and at first they seem harmless, but they lead us deeper and deeper into sin, and sin finally has this destructive power until everything about the image of God and everything about the character of God is totally twisted within us until we are sacrificing children and everything that we have, figuratively speaking and literally speaking, uh, you know, the gods that are not gods and destroy every bit of humanity in us and every bit of grace in us. And of course, this is the picture you see of the nation of Israel. And it's so disheartening because the God with great power has delivered them from this. And they, in almost a seamless fashion, uh, fall right back into the very things that he delivered them from. Yeah, I just feel like a big, <clears throat> well, the mistake that these settlers, I guess, made um, in the land were that they treated God as just one more little G-God. <laughs> like, he's just, he's the God of the land, so let's treat him the same way that we treat all the other gods, and let's pay homage to him. Let's worship him the way that, you know, the priests tell us to worship him and add him to the list of gods that we already serve. And that's just not how God is, and that's not who God is. He is the only God. And um, and so, yeah, it's just uh, how guilty are we <laughs> of doing the same thing, of, of yes, I want to worship God rightly, and, and as, as I add him to the list of the things that I already worship. Um, and that, that never goes well for us. 
right? I mean, he's deserving of so much more. And now this, you know, this really is a reflection, you know, for us. Uh, we, we look at them and say, how could you have many gods when, when we do? And, and of course, those things are not you know, necessarily little shrines that we have, you know, placed on a shelf somewhere that we burn incense to. Uh, there are things to which we look for our identity, which we look for our purpose, which we look for fulfilling and meaning in life that are, you know, in many cases, you know, the good gifts that God has given us or the common graces that God has given us, uh, but they elevate the gifts of God above the giver you know, himself. Mm-hmm. So we read about, you know, stark idolatry here, and, uh, you know, it obviously, uh, you know, stands out. Uh, the subtle idolatries of our heart are, are things, you know, that are, are much harder you know, to identify. And, and figuratively speaking, as I said, well, I go, they do lead us to sacrificing a lot of things that are very dear. Where, you know, the love we give to the Lord our God and gives us back grace, you know, that brings, uh, rather than sacrificing children on the ash heap of our idolatries, it gives them life and grace, you know, found in Him. Mm-hmm. If you'll pardon my figurative <laughs> language here, you know, just a little bit. No, it's almost just, it's similar idea. I'm thinking of James again, you know, he talks about just we're people so often of duplicity. And, you know, he talks about with the same mouth you praise the Lord and with the same mouth you curse your man who's made the image of God. And so we see there's within all of us that tendency to to be one way and then to be another way. And we to see be, it even yeah. here, you know, that while these, you know, that even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols as well. And, and to this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as our ancestors and so that's a i mean it's such a cultural thing even where we find ourselves of i do this on sunday and i serve the lord at this set time for mm-hmm. this time but then throughout the week i'm going to serve the idol of work or status or advancement or even family I mean, not often bad things like we say but still yeah. they, they've replaced I've done my due diligence to the Lord so the lions won't come out of the woods and consume me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I turn to the things, you know, to, uh, yeah, you know, to my me. other gods. Uh, yes. See, one of the kind of great ironies in the text to me is that even Assyria recognizes the sovereignty of God. You're talking about just God continues to remain sovereign. You know, God sends the lions, and, and Assyria is like, you know, God, the God of their country sent the lions, and they don't know what he requires. So we need to, we need to help them you know, in order to worship their God, the God of the country and to, to do what he requires. And, and so I just find that what a great irony that they are so stiff-necked, so hard-hearted that they they don't see the Lord, they don't respond to him. Um, and even then, mm. once they do get a priest, and who knows, I mean, maybe he wasn't great in communicating instruction or <laughs> revisiting the law, but verse 29 begins, nevertheless, you know, right after he begins to teach them how to worship the Lord, Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods. Yep, and that box is checked off. Yeah. You know, let's move on to the things that are really, you know, really important to us. And it is uh, so. Um, ironically, uh, the people from the other lands are recognizing something that Israel failed to recognize, and that is the calamities that are coming on them are the hand of God and our judgment from God. And uh, so they at least make a superficial turn, <laughs> not a meaningful turn. And, and, and of course, that's what many of us do as well. Make a superficial turn you know, to God rather than a deeply meaningful, you know, turn to God, mm-hmm. and just in order to receive His protection or His blessing. But it is always ironic that uh, people from a distance see things that we don't. They see our blind spots, yeah. and so they at least make an effort uh, to recognize the judgment of the Lord and to 
somehow appease him, yeah. which is not a strong move on their well, part. And I find it fascinating that the author won't let us hear, like, he won't let them just maintain that this is a historical account of like their ancestors. You know, because the way he concludes this chapter is, even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their ancestors did. You know, at times I think we can read things and think, well, at least we don't struggle with those kind of sins anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think if we were, if we were receiving this letter, the, the thing would say, and the people of God continue to do, you know, the same things today. Mm-hmm. But yep. grace, you know, but but leading us, uh, no doubt, all leading us. There. And those habits are. Uh, stay with us. You're a part of it. Uh, Catherine Elise. <laughs> she closes us with a word of prayer. Sure thing. Father, we just confess to you that we are so similar um, to these people that we just read about and that we um, have such a tendency in our hearts to... Um, worship you uh, along with all the other things that are important to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us a single mind, um, that we'd be single-minded people, that we would have one devotion, um, and that is to you. And that in your grace that you would show us the areas of our lives that we are um, worshiping other things, whether it is success or um, worshiping our relationships, whether it's our children, our, our spouse, our, um, maybe the future we have um, planned out for ourselves. Um, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would help us to, to lay it at your feet and to trust that you are the only God, that you are the living God, and that you are worthy of our, our single-minded devotion. Um, thank you for your word and I pray that you continue to transform us it's in Christ's name we pray Amen